Hello and welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. You guys ready for some gang violence? Yeah, man. Let's do We've it. done a few of these. We've done the Tookie. We did that, uh-huh. that dude uh, That dude up in the Northeast. Was he in New York City? Yeah. Uh, can't think of his name. Uh, oh, Vincent I know what you're talking about. Smothers. Actually, he was in Detroit, right? Vincent oh, Detroit. Smothers. Yeah. 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 Oh, Detroit. Vito Smothers. Yeah, he was a, a gang assassin. We're doing another one, right? Wasn't there another? Every now and then. Every now and then there's a perfect storm where like a psychopath happens to join a gang early in life. You know, just be born in that area. Like mm-hmm. in this case, this dude was born in Northeast LA in the Atwater area where, you know, gangs are just running rampant and no father and got introduced into this gang early on. And he just also happened to be a guy that I think would probably would have been a serial killer anyway and just really loved to kill for some reason. He just... Well, you think he would even if he was in an environment that didn't worship people like this and put them on a pedestal and give them all this respect? You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, if he's born in, like, Connecticut, do you think he turns out to be a... Maybe he turns out to be, like, one of those sneaky serial killers, right? Not somebody who's as blatant as he was in his life. I mean, this man yeah. killed... <laughs> no qualms about it. Middle of the street, whatever. He didn't give a fuck. It was really quite shocking. Like, I, the crime line, I'm like, as I was researching, I'm just like, God, I thought like that we were wrapping up the murders here, and it just keeps going. So like, no fear. No I fear thought I was done, and then it was like the next chapter was like, oh, the massacre of these, this household. I'm like, Jesus. Yeah. This guy. I mean, and then he's like killing people, and then he's like, let's go get some lunch. I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> like, this, this guy made Tookie Williams crazy. look soft, bro. Right? I, I really, yeah. What if they would have ran into each other? I think this dude would have killed on sight. Tookie would have been done. Yeah, yeah. If they got weapons, yeah, this guy no warning, is pulling just... a gun. I mean, if it's a fist, if it's a fist fight, Tookie's going to rip his ass apart. Oh, yeah, yeah Tookie, Tookie's a one-punch knockout artist. <laughs> pythons he had strapped to his chest. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Too bad they didn't run into each other. Right. But yeah, man, this is a good one. A lot of murders in this one and uh, some pretty shocking tales. Throughout yeah. this whole thing, so let's, let's do yeah, some gang shit. Lives up to his reputation, the monster of Atwater. Let's get into it. Let's do it. So the guy' name is Timothy McGee, and he's from Atwater Village, or he's at Atwater Village, or something like that. But anyway, so what happened? I'll tell the story real quick. Corrupt and the realest that just came with me, getting off the plane in Sacramento. This is when shit was in Sacramento. And um, got them all to go up to Echo Sounds that day. So I don't know if this guy was mad because they was in this territory or his neighborhood. If one of them got into it with him at the liquor store, or I don't know the reasoning behind it. But this dude rolled by on the motorcycle and let them have it. Shot them all up with AK-47. I remember the realest got shot. Big draw. He died from his gunshot wound. Keto Rock and, and Big C style was inside. Um, yeah, that was an incident that happened on a Sunday night. All right, let's jump right into this. We're going to start with the birth of the monster of Atwater, Timothy Joseph McGee was born on April 27th, 1973, uh, in Los Angeles, California. What was the, mm-hmm. what was the, 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 when was the riot, uh, in, in LA? Cause I'm thinking of that sublime song. Was it, it starts out with oh, the, yeah. uh, starts out Let with the date. I thought it was April 27th, but it was 1992, I think was the year, but like, wasn't it April something was the riot? 1992. 
And what was the date? April 29th. April 29th. Oh, I knew it was close, man. I'm just thinking of that Sublime song. <laughs> yep, really close, man. Like, yeah. you know, 20 years earlier. But yeah. Right, of course. Yeah. Right. All right, so yeah, he was born in Los Angeles in 1973. Shares a birthday with Lizzo, Frank Abagnale Jr., who we've done a whole episode on, the Catch Me If You Can yes, episode. Catch Me If You Can. And then a radio legend, Casey Kasem. Casey wow. Kasem's countdown. Casey Kasem. Okay. Got that legendary radio voice. You're not? not oh, if you heard his voice, you would know. It's Casey okay. Kasem. Yeah, he's just like <laughs> the stereotypical radio guy. It was just like legendary. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, like all radio stations are like basically out of LA now. It's like it doesn't matter where you live. Oh, yeah. It's all They're, syndicated, right? Yeah, it's all syndicated radio. Mm. No doubt. Like you have the same personalities across the coast. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like the alternative rock station here in North Carolina. It's like if you go and listen to the alternative rock station in in Vegas, it's like it, yeah, they're different names, but it's the same I don't know, it's the same characters doing mm-hmm. the same it's the same feel. It's unreal. I'm pretty sure uh, our our local guys, Dave Mahoney have, have made it. Like they've been I think they pretty sure their show broadcast in other states and stuff. Like they're syndicated. Yes, they now. do. They do. Which good for yeah, them. They're, they're mm-hmm. good dudes, local guys, Vegas guys. Yeah, absolutely. We got uh, here in here in Charlotte. They got a, a duo named Woody and Wilcox. And if you look them up, don't you know? Because you can listen to anything. <laughs> Woody right? and Wilcox. I know, right? It's the uh, same. They're they're just like Dave and Mahoney. Like uh, yeah. Wilcox is Dave, and Woody is Mahoney. Like they're okay. the exact. They're like they're interchangeable. Yeah. They're the personalities. It's just funny though because when you hear another state's guys, you're just like they sound stupid. But then our guys, like Dave Mahoney, probably <laughs> sounds stupid to other people. But like we're so used to them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like our lawyers, like Glenn Lerner but, and all that show, are just like used to these guys. And then you hear someone else's, you're like that guy looks dumb. You're like, well, Glenn Lerner's pretty dumb too. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. Those the heavy hit lawyers. Now Glenn Lerner though, he's another guy that's uh, all yeah, over. He's the all place. over the place. Yeah. You're yeah. Right. He's in Chicago and shit. Eight seven seven one five oh oh. Oh Lord, they yeah. they know how to market, dude. You got to give them that. No doubt. All right, back to the show. Yeah, so Timothy to McGee was born in 1973 in Los Angeles, California. His father abandoned him as a young boy, leaving the family and moving to Alaska. So Jeez, no father figure. Should have took his son. Yeah, this his life would have turned out quite different, I think. Yeah. Had he moved to Alaska, maybe been he like a, take out his love for killing on uh, wildlife out there. He could have been that's a what I was prolific say. hunter or something. He could have been like a badass survivor out there in or, Alaska. And, or he would have been know. the next Robert Hansen. Oh, yikes. True. <laughs> True. I forgot <laughs> about that. that. Did you? No, I did not. The old Alaskan hunter, Robert right. Hansen. Mm-hmm. So uh, locals recall McGee as a typical kid uh, when he was younger who often skated in the neighborhood but being without a father in a neighborhood like Atwater Village during this time seems to have drawn him into the brotherhood of street hood, you know, street gang life. And right. by 16, he would be doing some serious activity. Um, and before long, he would make his name as you know one of the most ruthless members of North Northeast LA's uh, TRV gang, which we'll get into. The Toonerville 13 gang, which I hadn't heard of. There's a lot of gangs in LA, man. Like This is Dude, not even one so of the many. top end ones. This is like kind of a secondary, it's- but... Yeah, it's literally like every neighborhood has their own gang. No disrespect all to, these... to TRV. I don't want them showing up at my doorstep. But no, hell no, 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 no. <laughs> totally respect. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> totally respect what you do, guys. Um, it's just, it's just we haven't heard of. I guess it's a good thing, right? I mean, wouldn't it be better to have if you're doing this type of activity? Fly on under the radar a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, I think they you... want their shit, their their brand to be number one. You know, that's the whole okay. idea. That's why you're well, taking you out gotta, the competition all the time. Well, you got to rap about it in songs if you want to be number one. We don't know about it otherwise. 
Yeah, right? and then you got to be they like kill the, the other the rappers Blitz. that are rapping about different gangs, like yeah, like exactly. our boy, uh, like our boy here does McGee. Yo, McGee. Yeah, that's like such a non-intimidating name. I know Tim McGee. Oh, it sounds McGee's like a get snowboarder you. or uh, something. It's like okay, what is he like a professional golfer? Like, right. What the fuck, Tim <laughs> McGee. Yeah, that's why they called him Weddo. And uh, uh, what else they call him? That's kind him? of a cooler name. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Tunerville Gang, let's go into the history of this gang. The gang took their name from a television show called the Tunerville Trolleys. And they, uh, they we were established sometime in the 40s or 50s. Um, and uh, so, yeah, they, they based their name off these trolleys that would go drive through the center of town. Uh, since mm-hmm. train tracks went through the center of uh, Vario and the sound of the trains were frequently heard in the area, the name seemed fitting for the young founders. Tunerville is generally found in the northeast Los Angeles neighborhood of Glendale and a few nearby municipalities. Tunerville, or TRV-13, has a history of brutal violence and murder against enemy street gangs and the police. Um, And so, yeah, young Timothy uh, McGee here would find his way into this gang and find a home with them and Mm -hmm. honestly become the most infamous member um, of their gang because of his ruthlessness. Oh, no doubt. He put Um, them on the map. Yeah. And as a Caucasian, uh, as as a Caucasian of Scottish and Mexican descent, McGee was not a stereotypical Sereno gang member, which resulted in nicknames like Wedo and Eskimo. So yeah, they they were constantly giving him nicknames, you know, surrounding his his white heritage or whatever. But he, he just he looked white, but he was also you know at least like was he like at least a quarter Mexican, if not half. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He kind of had like that Mexican stash going on too, mm-hmm. you know. And then of course he he usually sported a shaved head. Which was very yeah. typical for those, you know, those LA gangs at the time. I guess probably still is. Yeah, if you're watching the YouTube version right now, I'm sure there's a picture of him up there. Tim, intimidating oh, yeah. looking guy and very fit. He, you know, he took a page out of uh, Tookie's book as far as like, you know, his image being part of the whole thing. You know, being yeah. being an intimidating figure and being in good shape, uh, being able mm-hmm. to outrun the police and things like that is important as well as run down your enemies. Yeah, yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna have a lot of enemies, you might want to stay in shape. Yeah, it might be a good idea. That's that's motivation in itself, I think. Yeah. So let's let's have his first run in with the law here. In 1989, at the age of 16, McGee fired a shotgun into a crowd of people. A man was struck yeah. in the face by several pellets, and Timothy would be shortly after arrested and put in juvie. And at this time, when he's in juvie at 16, he had a girlfriend who was pregnant with his first child, and she lived near the facility, which was convenient for him mm-hmm. um, while he was doing his time. However, he was due to be transferred from this juvie to another one. And, you know, he didn't want to be transferred because his, you know, his baby mama was nearby. So while being taken to the bus, McGee assaulted a correctional officer, hoping that his transfer would be postponed. When he learned that his transfer was still going to take place after the assault of the CO, he said, quote, well, next time I'll just have to stab him. So Jesus. Yeah. 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 We got a bad apple here, folks. Mm-hmm. We got a bad apple. Uh, a few years later, in nineteen, a few years later in nineteen ninety four, at twenty one years old, McGee was convicted of assaulting a police officer in San Bernardino, and was sentenced to four years in prison. You know, he's, mm. he, he hated cops. Typical of uh, you know an L A gang member. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. That's part um, of the prerequisite. Yeah, he would be released in nineteen ninety seven after serving three years. In nineteen ninety seven, two members of the Rascals, which was a you know a, a rival gang. Juan Cardiel and Pedro Sanchez were chased through the streets of Atwater Village, allegedly by McGee. Cardiel was shot in the back and paralyzed from the waist down. Sanchez took cover at a gas station, standing behind the glass he thought was bulletproof. McGee repeatedly fired through the glass, hitting Sanchez in the back. 
He would later recover from his injuries. Both identified McGee as the shooter. So this is his first instance of, you know, attempted murder here, it appears, unless you include the shotgun firing into a crowd, which I guess you could call that attempted murder as well. Uh, yeah. Depends yeah. on how far away it was, I suppose. I don't know. I guess. And, and yeah, I guess you have to take into consideration his, his understanding of firearms as a 16-year-old as well. Maybe he didn't yeah. understand that. Maybe he intended to kill people but didn't realize how far away he was. And then in that instance, that's just as bad. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But he was a, he was a shoot on sight type of dude. Oh my God. He was asked no questions. Yeah. No questions. Just shoot. Yeah. If he saw you and you were against him or known to be, what's up? Yeah. I was just going to say one, one instance of this coming up where he did ask questions was, you know, the guy that, you know, had a shirt on and, and he, his tattoos for his gang affiliation weren't on display. And oh, McGee walked yeah. up and asked him, you know, if he was in a gang, we'll, we'll get to all that. But like there yeah. was a, a time or two where he asked questions, but you know, zero hesitation to fire upon anyone from a different gang, but also what? killed yeah. random people too. We see that uh, in one instance where there's just a random kid that he just killed just because he wanted to kill. Yep. Yep. Um, but how about this Sanchez dude uh, hiding behind glass that he thought was bulletproof? Turns out you were wrong on that, buddy. God. I wonder where that was at, though. I wonder if it was like, a, was it a gas station or whatever? Yeah, and well. also, if you're going to hide behind glass, like, especially if you think it's bulletproof, why would you turn your back? I don't right. know. Bulletproof glass like... is pretty rare. You don't, it's not like, what would you I say, know. 99% of glass is not bulletproof? I mean, <laughs> at least. It's quite a, <laughs> quite a gamble can, you're taking there. Who can afford that shit? I mean,. Yeah. You know, or like Lexand or something like that. You know, that mm-hmm. that shit's expensive. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know where he found glass that he thought was bulletproof. I'd like to know more about that. Unless story. you're running into a police station. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure all their glass is bulletproof for obvious reasons, but. Yeah, should be. Or a bank, right? Maybe. If you run into a gas station, the only place that's going to be in a bad neighborhood, the only spot that's going to be bulletproof is where the employees behind the counter. That's it. Not like the glass at the front door is not going to be fucking bulletproof. Exactly. Exactly. So unless you, yeah, I just can't imagine he ran behind the counter yeah. of a convenience store. Yeah. So let's go on to it's his first, what's believed to be his first homicide. I can't say for certain just because of the rate at which this guy killed. It's like, it wouldn't surprise me if he killed someone prior to this and got away with it. Right. Yeah. On, you have to take all this away with, with most of his murders. I mean, yeah. he's assumed the shooter for most of these, but he only get, ends up later on getting convicted of a few. And he's killed like, you know, well above 10. And these are just the ones we know, Lauren. You know yeah, what I'm exactly. saying? That's like, what I'm saying, dude. I, I, he was just randomly shooting people every day, it seemed like. so. A guy with knows? a rap sheet like this, like there's no telling the violence he's caused. Yeah. The wake of death he's left. I mean, yeah. and he'll he'll and him and I mean, who's gonna rat on this dude too? It's like who's gonna snitch on this oh, motherfucker? Not me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You could be the most the most morally well, correct person in the world, and you're not going to snitch on this dude. Like, we saw one know. young lady that was brave enough to do so, and uh, that didn't go so well. No. That was no. a horrible part of this story. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, so on October 14th, 1997, while on parole, 24-year-old Tim McGee committed what is believed to be his first homicide. Tim and another Toonerville member drove south into Frogs. This is another thing he would do. He would drive into enemy territory on a regular basis just to look for dudes to kill. Literally just, right. just doing it. Going to battle, I guess you could say. It's like, I guess, but like, isn't that the whole point of having the gangs is so you have your territory, they have theirs? Right. Like, why would you go to theirs if they're not coming to yours? It's like, it, I, I feel like to it's get senseless. your street cred up, dude. I, I guess. 
I guess just to be like, oh, I go where the fuck I want. And because you're, you're a psycho a and you love to kill people. You're looking for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah, I'm sure he took. It. He was he was the type of person that took every little slight to heart and was like, "It must be avenged with a death." Right. <laughs> yeah. So on October 14th, 1997, Tim and this other Tunerville member drove into Frogtown territory, one of TVR's biggest rivals in Atwater Village. They spotted 23-year-old Ronnie Martin, a member of Frogtown, standing outside of a recreational center. They approached him and asked what gang he affiliated with. Ronnie naturally denied being a member of any gangs, as you see these two members of a rival gang approach you oh, with guns in hand. Um, McGee and the other man lifted Ronnie's shirt to check him for gang tattoos, which at which point they spotted the Frogtown. Do you imagine that moment being Ronnie? Like, you know, as soon as they lift your shirt, what they're going to see and it's over. Yep. So they lift his shirt. They see the Frogtown tattoos and they know that he lied to him and they basically open fire on him, um, with McGee standing over him and emptying his magazine. Martin was shot 28 times and pronounced dead at the scene. Jesus Christ. You see what Fuck. I'm saying? Like, this is outside of a recreation center. This yeah. is not... Broad this daylight. Is not in an, I'm pretty sure it was not in, the, in daytime. Like Right. This is not in an alley. This is not in some junkyard where in movies they do deals. Like, this is out in the middle of the fucking street. Yeah. Like, this dude was brazen 28 times. Emptied yep. the clip on him. Like, yep. just just for having a tattoo. Well, for Yikes. being a member of the, the rival gang, bro. Well, yeah. Yeah, but could you can't you be a member of a gang without getting tattoos? Is that is that not allowed? Uh, I think that's like part of like you have to do that. Oh, I feel like that's silly. I feel like wouldn't it be better if all your gang members were incognito and unrecognizable, but you still you know yeah, did everything. It, it would definitely way. be an advantage, but like yeah, they like like once again it's part of the, you know the images got it's part of it. Yeah, I guess so. And it's part of the lifestyle. I think like it is it's part of there's risk involved, you know. You know, basically by putting that tattoo on, you're saying you're willing to take on the risk of being in this gang and like you, you're willing to rep them, even if it means you might mm-hmm. get killed for it. Right, right, yeah. right. That's part of it. It's a lifestyle. I guess. And like you're saying, I'm I'm no turning back. I'm a member for life when you get that tat. True. Although you see some people get them lasered off later. I was about to say, people, you get it lasered off, you get them removed, I mean, covered up and everything Move else. To Alaska, I guess that's why they covered up with a bear tattoo or something. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Go to Alaska, some bear just fucking scratches it off for you. There you go. That's all you got to do. Put some fucking peanut butter on there and lay out in the woods That's for a day. <laughs> Take care of it. That's how you earn your stripes Get right there. Get yourself revenanted. Yeah. You want to be a real man? You want to be a real man? Don't join a gang. Get your gang tattoo removed by a bear. That's be a real fucking real shit. man. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, McGee was not linked to this homicide until years later. I think these were areas where police were very, like, hands-off. They were like, I'm not going in there. Fuck, you see what happens. Like, they a lot of times they were setting these police officers up. They were making phony calls to get them to come in, and then they were throwing shit in the road and trying to basically trap them so they could kill them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so like, it's, oh. it's all, like you say, it's all a fear tactic. You just yeah. want to gain that respect. You want them to be so afraid to even enter your neighborhood that mm-hmm. you can do whatever the fuck you want. And they're not. I don't think they're typical homicide investigations. A lot of times in these really heavy gang areas, where you know, I think they have this viewpoint of like, well, let them kill each other. Like, mm-hmm. it's not right. I'm not saying that's right, but I'm saying I think that there's an element of that at a certain point. No doubt, and that's why that's what makes me think that um, McGee has gotten 
gotten away with a lot more yeah, murders than what we know, absolutely. you know, because how many didn't even get investigated? How many mm -hmm. were just written off as just another gang member slain in the streets? Yep. The, the guy that got killed was a gang member. The guy that killed him yep. was a gang member. Who cares? There's yep. one less gang member on the street the way they're looking at it. Right. And they know that other game's gonna that other gang is gonna retaliate and then that mm -hmm. gang member that did the murder is probably gonna get killed anyways mm -hmm. and back and forth, back and forth. Yep. Yeah. So as his notorious reputation grew, McGee would aptly earn the nickname Monster or the Monster of Atwater, known as someone who would kill on the, kill for sport because he enjoyed it. Um, he didn't even need a real reason to end someone's life. So he would just kill on the spot whenever he felt like it. We would come to see this over and over again throughout this case. Mm. And uh, over time, his image began to match his persona as well. The back of his uh, typically shaven head bared a tattoo of an eagle eating a snake, which appears on the, Mex uh, the Mexican flag. McGee also has Atwater Village tattooed across his chest, his gang Toonerville Rifa on his back, and initials of his gang TVR on his stomach. He also had the initials uh, NELA tattooed on his uh, behind his left ear, which stands for Northeast Los Angeles. He oh, okay. he stands at five foot eleven with a muscular build and frequently wears a goatee. So shaved head, goatee, tatted up, jacked, like pretty much what you'd expect. Yeah, yeah, I'd say he's he's over two hundred pounds. Yeah. Yeah, he's and, stocky. And as his, you know, as he rose through the ranks um, of of his gang, TVR, he would uh, begin to like organize workout sessions, and he treated the gang as if it were a paramilitary group, leading exercise and weapons training sessions. You wonder how much of that training he got, though. Like, is he just like? I was about to say, like, like, how does he know any weapons training, or do you just like watch some that's YouTube what I'm videos? Thinking. I'm like, dude, you went into you went into gangs at 16. Like, what do you know about? actual military training who knows mm -hmm. maybe he does know a lot maybe he watched videos and uh you know and learned shit who knows or maybe there was mil i'm sure there's ex-military and he just lot got of him gangs. target shooting with the gun sideways yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is proper form guys you're not hitting anything because you don't have your top button button homes what are you doing right <laughs> Um, so after a, a charge unrelated to the murder of Ronnie Martin violated his parole because they hadn't caught the killer of Ronnie Martin, um, but he violates his parole nonetheless nonstop. So he was sent yeah. back to prison in, in late 1997 and was not released again until March of 1999. In March of 1999, he was again released and lived with his grandmother in the San Gabriel Valley, which has a relatively low crime rate in comparison to the more notorious neighborhoods of L.A. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about he, he was a father of five children, three of them, three of them being biological. Um, and two of them being, I guess, his girlfriend's kids from, uh, you know, someone else. Okay. Um, uh, and he was, he was by all accounts, he was a, a good father when he was around. Obviously he wasn't around much cause he was usually in the streets or locked up. Mm -hmm. Um, and on my birthday in 1999, October 17th, while on parole, McGee shot a bodyguard and two rap artists while they were hanging out on a patio near the gates of Echo Sounds Music Studio in Atwater Village. They had just wrapped up a recording session. And there's some some connected people here, some names. I think uh, Snoop Dogg's cousin was here on this patio. You know, these, these were up-and-coming yeah. rap groups. They were recording albums. Um, the crew had gathered on the studio's patio at 11.40 p.m. when at least two gunmen confronted them and began shooting without warning. Bodyguard Dwayne Draws Dupree, who was 23 at the time, was killed, pronounced dead at the scene by paramedics. Dupree was guarding rapper Ricardo Corrupt Brown, future executive vice president of Death Row Records, who was finishing his album The Streets is a Mother. Is a mother. Isn't that ironic? Um, with Entra hey. Records. So they're, they're finishing their album The Streets is a Mother as this dude runs up on them on a patio and starts firing at them. Multiple people. 
Jeez. So the streets are, in fact, a mother. They are, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I never, that episode. We can name the episode I, that. The streets are, in fact, a mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I, hear, when I hear about gang violence and shit in rap songs, especially if it's repeated, it's a repeated theme, I usually think most of that shit's real. I'm like, yeah, they actually, yeah, this is this is actually an experience. This is mm-hmm. really how, this is really how this guy lives. This is this really happened to him, you know. There's no question about that. And then when you hear shit like this, and then you think about the feud between like rap record labels, yeah. um, in West Coast hip hop in general and East Coast, honestly, honestly, East Coast Brooklyn area and shit like, um, with uh, you know, Biggie, Biggie Smalls and Tupac yeah. and like all that shit and the way it went back and forth and. It was it was deadly, man. It's weird because like you think these guys have made it, right? It's like you guys got to be millionaires, and yet you could still be shot outside your studio at any given day. There's so many like, jealous dudes out there in the hood that like you made it, you know, and like they don't want they're not rooting for your success. They want to be in your no. spot, and so and they it, feel like if they take you out. That's one less person in their way to get where they want to go. Right, but I can't help but think it might help if you're not telling everybody everything you have and you have earned in your song. Like, stop fucking telling everybody all the money that you have. And then maybe. Once again, that's like the tattoo thing. It's like, it's part of the. It's like, yeah. You got to. You got to do it. But that's what puts a target on you. That's what makes it cool. It's risky. That's what makes it cool. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I agree. There's a lot of people that do risky shit because it's cool. And sometimes you pay for it. And some, you know, sometimes you get away with it. Dude, most times you pay for it. What's the You got to get big enough to where you can pay for some legit security, where you got like the, you got like those five, six foot six bodyguards. It don't even matter. I mean, look at Nipsey Hussle. Yeah. I mean, well, Nipsey was like. Th- there's also an element of like, you. you uh, a lot of people give you shit if you don't go back to the hood where you came from. You know, even after you've made it, when you're a millionaire, and like, yeah, that, that's part of it. You know, like, what I'm saying like, he is doesn't like, even come back here anymore. And like, so Nipsey was just standing outside in the street. I don't think he had much, you know, security around him. Oh, of course not. Of course not. But there's always somebody wanting to take it. That's what that's what baffles me. It's like you have the money to have security. You have the money to have an, an entourage. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe mm-hmm. if you're if you are gonna go back to the hood, maybe that's what you should take those dudes with you. You know, I'm not blaming them for if I was for if trying I, to if I had made them. it, I was from these streets and I had made it, I would just be like photoshopping myself into like current day pictures of the streets. I'd be like, I was just there yesterday. Where were you? <laughs> <laughs> I would not fucking go back. Fuck that. Right? The Photoshop <laughs> game is amazing now. Yeah. I mean, come on, people. You don't exactly. really have to be there. You could have the best Photoshoppers in the world paying paying them six figures to like make it look like you were you know, on the corner right. yesterday. <laughs> it's called green screen, peeps. Yeah, I man. I mean, come on now. <laughs> yeah. I was down in that water yesterday. Here. What are you talking about? <laughs> Where the hell were you? Look, here I am. <laughs> look yeah. at my Facebook status. Exactly. <laughs> oh, you might be onto something there. Yeah. So um, death row artist Javon, the realist Jones, was wounded in the foot, and Willard Act the Fool Givers was wounded in the calf as well. They were also on the patio. Um, okay. It was initially suggested that a hidden track on the album could have been motive for the shooting that insulted rappers DMX, The Firm, and others. DMX seemed like he was he he might you know orchestrate a hit on you if you're just over uh, some rap beef. He was yeah. pretty hard, especially in his younger days. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like as he got older, he kind of got kind of he got wise, and he he kind of, you know, he figured he kind of figured shit out. He calmed down a lot. He started doing movies. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, yeah, in those younger age with X going to give it to you days, mm-hmm. yeah, I wouldn't have fucked with him. No, nah. Um, so yeah, it was assumed that that had something to do with it. This this hidden track, but later it was uh, McGee uh, and an affiliate who were linked to the shooting. 
Once again, he gets away with this one. Um, McGee was again returned to prison for parole violation in February of 2000. So he's like going around killing everybody, but it was always parole violation that would get him. Um, and so he would serve two months before being released again. And by the summer of 2000, at only 26 years old, McGee had already spent a quarter of his life in prison. And police would notice that crime in Atwater Village seemed to increase sharply each time that McGee was released from prison. So yeah. Yeah. every time he got out, it was just bodies everywhere. Yeah, no shocker there. They got their um, hitman back. Yeah, but one, I think the biggest issue is like no one's willing to speak up about him. Like, who's going to rat him out? You better make sure that you get a conviction. Like, and he does. He's not getting out on parole or some shit or awaiting trial. Right. You're done. Yeah, you better but find no one was some willing type to of hard evidence. Be a witness to any of his murders. No one was willing to step forward in that. No, no. Um, McGee by this time was considered to be the leader of the Tunerville 13 gang, and would take fellow gang members in hunt, hunting, quote unquote, in gang uh, in rival gang neighborhoods. According to LAPD Detective Andrew Teague, when McGee and his subordinates went into rival gang territories, quote, it's like a hunter going into a big game preserve. He said that in an article from the LA Times in 2003. Mm -hmm. um, in June of 2000, only a few months out of prison, McGee again took his fellow Tunerville gangsters hunting in rival territory, finding 16-year-old Ryan Gonzalez coming home from a party. Gonzalez, a member of the Rascals gang, had no connection with McGee other than a common nickname, Wedo. He was also called Wedo. And there could only be two wedos in the Atwater Village area, according to uh, Timothy McGee. And mm -hmm. so McGee uh, reportedly told others he had killed Gonzalez because the area wasn't big enough for two people with the same nickname. Jesus. Yeah. That is unfortunate. Yeah. You could say that. Um, I mean, was this he? Okay, he was. A I, I would have been like, you know, I'm willing to. Game, I'm willing though. to renegotiate my nickname here. I, 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 we can make some changes. You know, I don't need yeah. to go by wedo. It's fine. Yeah, I can be Dryo. I don't <laughs> do give a fuck. He, do you think he tried to throw that out there? I'll be a Livo. How about that? Right. Huh? Anything. Whatever you you want me to you know, call me shithead, that's fine. Yeah, I don't give a fuck. But I mean, <laughs> also, you have to understand, though, he was a member of the Rascals gang, which was the yeah. border. I mean, he was going to kill him gang. regardless. He's a rival yeah. gang member. so. And that was just an excuse to hunt him down specifically. That was just the cherry on top. He's got the same nickname. Yeah. And it's just one of your nicknames, McGee. It's not even a, it's not even your For solid real. nickname. It's just one of them. Mm -hmm. Like he they can't have one of your nicknames. You still got Eskimo. You still got right. the, <laughs> the monster of Outwater for Christ's sake. Like no you one don't else like got Eskimo. That. Don't don't call me Eskimo. Motherfucker. Right. <laughs> um so yeah, Gonzalez or Weto was fatally shot on the thirty three hundred block of Silver Lake Boulevard in Tunerville Gang Tory near uh Atwater Avenue Elementary School. No, of course near an elementary school. Jesus. Mm. Just um, no qualms, dude. No qualms about it. He don't give a fuck. If he sees him, it could have been inside the school. He could have been like having lunch with oh, his kid. And he'd probably if there shot was him. kids in the way, he would have shot them. Just stepped over him and shot this dude. He's literally just cold hearted, Savage, heartless. Bro. He was yeah. like a modern day Pan's Ram. Just anybody in the yeah. way. Yeah. Um, in June 2000, an arrest warrant was issued for McGee in connection with the Gonzalez murder. But it was several years until law enforcement caught up with him. I don't understand that. Like, they're just not going looking for him, I think, because, like, he's he's not like he's hiding. The dude's just, all, you know, hanging out in Atwater Village every day, like, going around shooting people. Yeah, exactly. Um, ironically, he would attempt to, quote, catch up with them first. Um, so this is, this is the ambush of LAPD officers that he was involved in. On July 4th, 2000, LAPD officers Thomas Baker and Carlos Langarcia – uh, were on patrol when they received a call at around 3.30 a.m. that three males had stolen a wallet and fled the scene of the robbery in a gray Honda. Upon entering the uh, encountering the vehicle, traveling in the opposite directions, direction, the officers made a U-turn and attempted to stop the vehicle. 
The driver refused to stop and accelerated, both officers noting that they were headed into the heart of Toonerville gang territory in Atwater Village. Baker and Langarcia were aware that the LAPD officers had been ambushed in this area by gang members who'd been on the uh, who had blocked the street with debris and opened fire on police vehicles not long ago. Mm-hmm. So this this is a, an area where they would fre- frequently do this. They would try to ambush police officers. This is another right. example. During this pursuit, a 27-year-old Timothy McGee was allegedly using a police radio scanner to track the progress of the chase while coordinating an ambush. During the pursuit, officers dodged a washing machine blocking the road, made a right turn on the corner of Bemis Street and Brunswick Avenue, and ran over a bicycle pushed into their path by an unknown suspect. After the police vehicle swerved, two gang members opened fire on the officers, striking the driver's side door and tearing a hole through Officer Baker's pants. Amazingly, the officers continued their pursuit all over this fucking stolen wallet. I would have been gone. Like Once again, this is why I'm not a police officer. Like... I don't know. There's times where it's worth it. Other times it's not like, okay, so someone got yeah. their wallet stolen and now you got a I'm, bullet in your leg. It's time to, it's time to cut. Yeah. Back. You're yeah. getting ambushed. <clears throat> There's not time for backup to get here and save me during this ambush. Right. I'm going to get out, maybe re-coordinate with a bunch of other cops and come back. Especially when you consider this as a wallet. Like it's not like a kid got abducted and you're chasing that's a car with a child in there or something. Like, that's, that's a different situation. Very different. Very different. But yeah, yeah, a wallet, it's like that stuff is replaceable. I don't care yeah. what's in there. Yeah, and honestly, at this point, you should realize that this wallet uh, robbery never even happened. This is all just a ruse to get you to come into the area where they're trapping you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they continued the pursuit even as the suspects in the gray vehicle began to open fire, too. Ramming the, uh, ramming the rear of the vehicle to bring it to a stop, the passengers in the front seat fled the scene while pointing pistols at the officers. Uh, Baker rammed the vehicle again, which at which point the vehicle and the, uh, the passenger in the back seat displayed an Uzi-style submachine gun. Officers ran for cover behind a tree, exchanging gunfire with the remaining two suspects in the vehicle. Eventually, backed up by other LAPD officers, the three robbery suspects were again uh, were arrested and charged with attempted murder. Mario Littleboy Ailman, Ramon Chubbs Maldonado, and Joseph Little Respect uh, Azagata were, uh, were sentenced to two consecutive life terms for this incident. Uh, but of wow. course, Timothy, uh, Timothy McGee skates free again. Wow. <laughs> Even though he was coordinating the ambush with fucking radios it. and everything. Oh, yeah. I like that nickname, Little Respect. Little That's Respect, yeah. He doesn't have a lot of it, but he's got a little respect. <laughs> I got a little respect. <laughs> he's got a little respect. I'll take it. <laughs> um, oh, so, shit. So the two gang members who fired on police during the attempted ambush, one of whom is suspected in, uh, of being McGee, were never identified. Ailman Maldonado and Azagata uh, refused to give up shooters' names in exchange for a lessened prison sentence. Um, well, yeah, they, they knew that if they had given up names, they'd probably have a hit put on them while they're in prison. They'd get right. shanked. Yeah, they're like, at least I can live. Yeah, you I know, mean, I you're know still going to get a long sentences. sentence regardless. Oh, yeah. Well, two life, right? Double yeah. life sentences. Um, mm. neither officer amazingly, amazingly, neither officer was injured, but both later indicated that they did not think they would have survived the incident. Both officers would be awarded the prestigious LAPD medal of valor in 2003 for their bravery. Um, Damn. yeah. So McGee once again, got away for now and would continue to wreak havoc on the community. Um, in September of that same year, 2000, uh, 17 year old Marty Gregory Royball, a Roy, a high school student was minding his business and drawing at the, drawing a picture at the at Los Angeles river. Timothy McGee approached him and for seemingly no reason opened fire, killing, opened fire, killing him on the spot. So this is what we uh, alluded to earlier where he just would no qualms about mm-hmm. killing random people too. If he felt like he was, he was in the mood to kill right. this kid's just literally drawing a picture at the LA river, minding his fucking business. 
Um, and then it snowballs from there. He kills this kid, the 17-year-old Marty Roybal, and there was a witness. 33-year-old David Lamont Martin, a homeless man that McGee believed had witnessed the shooting, became the next target. McGee allegedly turned to his fellow Toonerville member while standing over Lamont's body um, and commented without emotion that he was hungry and wanted to go get something to eat. So he kills these two random innocent people that had no gang affiliation um, mm. and then just, uh, hey, I'm hungry. Let's go get some lunch. Jesus. I mean, what do you what do you do like you, you understand why these why these kids join these gangs and then feel trapped you know what i mean yeah. like when you when the leaders because these dudes are typically the leaders yeah. the dudes that will do anything the most right? ruthless yeah yeah they lead by fear they lead mm -hmm. by fear so if you see yeah. if you see your leader just killing people with no qualms talking about lunch, what do you think he's gonna do if you try to leave exactly yeah or god forbid you cross them in any way shape or mm -hmm. form Yep, you rat them out. I mean, God, you, you got to feel trapped at that point. Yep. So trapped. Yeah, so McGee would then be incarcerated for yet another parole violation involving narcotics, this time at Chino, but was released in May of 2001. Beginning in June that year, he was suspecting of shooting shooting nine individuals in the span of five months, leaving six dead and three wounded. So let's go through this spree that he goes on here. Wow. Um, it began on June 11, 2001, when McGee was allegedly traveling through the affluent Los Feliz area that borders Atwater Village and features the popular Griffith Observatory. 21-year-old Manuel uh, Apodaca Jr. Uh, how would you say that? Apodaca? Yeah, I think Apodaca. 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 Lived 35 miles to the east of Pomona and was passing through the area with his pregnant girlfriend, Nina Guerrero. McGee allegedly opened fire on their vehicle on Los Feliz Boulevard near the I-5. Apodoca, allegedly a member of the Rascals gang, was killed, and Guerra, uh, his girlfriend, who was pregnant, suffered severe brain damage. Amazingly, their unborn baby was delivered successfully. So wow. the baby survived. The, the baby's the only one that survived. That was. I'm surprised you know, he didn't try to kill the baby, the too. Uh, I mean, you. what are the odds? You you know, you shoot this woman in the head that the baby's going to be still be delivered successfully. I don't think he needed to. He probably didn't think he needed to take extra steps there. Yeah, well, I mean, we're talking about a guy that just killed yeah, some kid by right. the river drawing a picture. So I, right. I thought, you know, you why not? You can see it going through his head. Line. Someday this baby's going to be my enemy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm talking about, you know, in the bloodline shit. That almost is Game the start of, of like a, that almost is the start of like a superhero movie or something. Like you could see that being like the story, the story arc. Like, yeah, uh, my mother was killed by a gang member while I was in her belly. Now this kid grows up on the city. He's like the ghetto Batman. Yes. Dude, yeah. that's a movie. <laughs> There's something there. Yeah. I think it's been done plenty of times, but still, could be a cool twist. Yeah. Then in July, another 21-year-old, Carlos Velasco, was working at a furniture warehouse in the North San Fernando Road uh, in Atwater Village. McGee allegedly drove by and saw the stranger. He ordered a gang affiliates to kill the man because he did not recognize him. The murder was carried out successfully. So this dude... Not even a gang member, just a guy that, you know, uh, old Timothy McGee didn't recognize. And, mm -hmm. you know, you wow. got to know him. If you don't know Apparently. you, you're, you might be on the other side. So no no chances here. Right. I guess you if you look like a gang member and then you're not one of mine, then you're dead. Yeah. yeah. Man, be careful what you're wearing. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's get into the Wisotsky Massacre. That's right. Uh, we, now we're going to a massacre. This guy was really on a rampage here. Jeez, um, Atwater Village resident, 46-year-old Cherry Witoski, Wisotsky, uh, had reported to police that McGee was dealing drugs out of his sister's house nearby. Oh, boy. 
Shouldn't have done that. <sighs> yeah, dude. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes you just got to mind your damn business. That's you know what, what I was saying. That's like, I didn't want to say it, but like you know, there's just some people you don't really want to call in. That you don't want to make that a quote unquote anonymous phone call on or whatever. Yeah. Ugh. It's like, I mean, and then I don't know. I mean, I understand the the crowd that it brings to your neighborhood and whatnot, but like, who's really gonna fuck with the neighborhood with this dude here? Right. Like in a sense, it's kind of like a protection, but yeah. I mean, yeah, how could until she, your how nephew could she comes over for until your nephew comes over to your trailer for you know a birthday party or something, and he happens to look like a rival gang member, even if he's not, and the next thing, all your whole family's fucking massacred. Like that's the exactly. thing too. Is like that's, it's not the best protection because like you just never know like what the hell he's gonna do. Yeah, he's unpredictable. This is a good example right? of and it. He here. serves he serves his own motives. Yeah. So yeah, he's totally unpredictable. He fulfills his own and, prophecies. And let's not, you know, let's not victim blame here. There's no possible way no, she could no, have no. known who she was no. dealing with. There's no way no. you know. You who report you're your neighbor with. for dealing drugs. That's fair enough. You know, pretty right. sure my mom's done that at some point in our old neighborhood. <laughs> right. That was pretty sketchy. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So Sherry would make this phone call and report that you know McGee was dealing drugs out of uh, his sister's house nearby. And on August 8th, 2001, would, McGee would show up and kill Wisotsky as well as two witnesses to the crime, 64-year-old Marianne Wisotsky, which was Sherry's mother, and 38-year-old Byram Robinson, a friend and neighbor. So this this poor guy was just happened to be there at the time. He's a friend and neighbor, yeah. and because he's a witness, he gets murdered as well. What's up, Creepers? Today I want to tell you about another amazing podcast that we know you'll love, entitled What Was That Like? Podcast. With episode titles like Dan was mauled by a grizzly bear, or Diana survived a plane crash, or Whitney was shot 12 times, you can't help but click play. And the best part is, the people who live through these crazy events are telling you the story themselves, bringing true authenticity and detail to the story that just wouldn't be possible otherwise. The episodes often include actual audio from the event, like 911 calls and etc. Scott, the host, he does his best to get out of the way and let the guest tell the story with little to no interruption. This week, I listened to the most recent episode, entitled, Kennedy Hung from a Power Line, where you hear from a young girl who was in a rollover car accident and is catapulted from the car and, you guessed it, lands on a power line and lives, obviously. What was that like isn't like any other pod I've heard. The stories are real, honest, vulnerable, and true. What Was That Like can be found on any podcast app, including Spotify, iTunes, or you can listen at whatwasthatlike.com. After the show, why don't you go give them a listen? So as these gang-related murders continued at breakneck speed with Timothy McGee as a suspect in many of them, we talked about this earlier, but you have to wonder how many of them continued on without him getting locked up for life because the police had that you know cleaning up the trash mentality where it's like he's killing gang members. Mm -hmm. Even though now we've seen... Multiple innocent people get killed, you know, witnesses to murders of his and right. things like that. Right. Something has to be done at this point. And just straight up dudes that are on the corner that weren't even in gangs that just happen to look like someone that might be in a gang or he didn't recognize them. Like, it's... Yeah. Yeah. He, not good. He's taking he need, it too far. He's, as these yeah. killers always do, right? They always push the envelope until it's just un... Yeah. un um, I don't know. You just can't ignore it anymore. Yeah. So on November 8th, 2001, uh, McGee was allegedly prowling the streets with fellow gang member Eddie Eduardo Limpy Rodriguez, seeking revenge over the death of a comrade hours earlier. Armed with handguns and rifles, they came upon rival gang member Dwayne Natavidad, 
on Hollydale Drive, uh, Natividad, uh, was driving his Mitsubishi Montero with his girlfriend, 25-year-old Marjorie Mendoza, and her friend, 16-year-old Erica Ree. Mendoza and Natividad uh, had three children, Mark, who was five, Justin, who was three, and Nathan, who was one. Hold on a second. Re- relax. They weren't in the car at the time. Because I know immediately, I, I, when I, when I, as I was reading this, I was like, fuck no. I know, right? Like a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. I have a five and a three-year-old right now. I'm just like, started like panicking. But thank God they weren't in the car because you know he would have, without a second thought, killed all of them. Oh, absolutely. In order to get the guy that he wanted. Absolutely. And just to ensure there were no witnesses. You know? Yeah. I mean, even a one-year-old maybe could mumble something that it mm. set the cops on, you know? Yeah. Gosh. I wouldn't put it past him to kill a one-year-old just for the fun of it anyway. Like, forget the whole witness aspect of it. He just enjoyed killing. Yeah, he's a savage. And he, I could see him being like, well, I haven't killed one of these before. Let's try oh, this God. out. Yeah, I really could see him seeing that. Yeah, yeah, me too. So at 12.01 a.m. on November 9th, as Natavita pulled up to a residence, McGee and Rodriguez pulled in front of them, exited their vehicle, and opened fire on the Montero without any warning or verbal altercation. Natavita ducked and was struck in the right hand while Reed ducked in the back seat, avoiding injury. As her boyfriend threw the car in reverse and accelerated away, Mendoza was hit multiple times and was driven to the Glendale Memorial Hospital where she later died. Mm-hmm. Um, Tunerville gang member Eduardo Limpy Rodriguez, who was one of the two shooters, you know, him and McGee did this. Right. He was arrested the following day. Somehow McGee got away again. What, what else is new? Um, detectives did announce on November 27, 2001, that another suspect, Timothy McGee, was still at large and a warrant had been issued for his arrest. So they at least put it out there that, you know, he had done this and they were looking for him. Mm-hmm. Now, they were able to tie him to this scene, right? Nobody ratted on him, but they were able to tie him to this scene somehow. Yes, that leads to another murder. Yes. Um, interestingly, this was like, this one was fucked. So. Detective Timothy Neal noted that McGee's release from prison six months before, uh, you know, we talked about how the, the crimes had skyrocketed, but at the crime scene, 29-year-old uh, Christian Duran, a, a friend of McGee's, learned that uh, Marjorie mer- learned of Marjorie's Mendoza's murder after McGee solicited her help from that day. Because at that at that crime scene, you know, this you know he's shooting at this car with this with Limpy Rodriguez. He accidentally dropped his girlfriend's cell phone at the crime scene. Oh no! Which would obviously link him to the murders. Um, and so he asked this this friend of his, Christina Duran, to go back to the crime scene and try and retrieve that cell phone that he had dropped. So now she knows about that he was he was one of the shooters at this murder. Um, she was unsuccessful in finding the cell phone, and police had already located it and used it as evidence that um, T- McGee was there. Mm-hmm. But shortly after the murder, um, Christina Duran admitted to police during a videotaped interview with LAPD homicide detectives that McGee was involved in the death of Mendoza. So she gives him up mm-hmm. to detectives. Mm, bad idea. She was visi- she was visibly shaken during the in- during the interrogation, frequently stating her fear of rep- retribution. And 2 days after speaking with police, Christina Duran was executed on the night that she celebrated her 29th birthday, allegedly shot by McGee 5 times in the right side of the head. See, I blame the police on this one. She should have been put in protective custody. <sighs> yeah, bro. I mean, come on. You Fuck. have an absolute You know he's still out there. Seriously. You know he's got nothing to lose. You haven't, like he's killed how many times? He's not afraid of prison. This motherfucker does no. not afraid of death. There's literally nothing you can do with him. Don't put her back out there. Like you know what kind of animal you're dealing with at this point. They just mm-hmm. didn't want to spare the expenses to put her in fucking protective custody and she got mm-hmm. killed 2 days later. That's some bullshit. Crazy. <clears throat> Yeah, that one that one hit hard. I was like, fuck, dude. She tried to do the right thing. Seriously. Yeah. Mm. 
I actually saw the videos of her like slumped over in the back seat of the, of the vehicle where he shot her. There, there's up. surprisingly a lot of crime scene photos mm -hmm. for this guy, which I'm sure you guys yeah. are seeing them on the if you're watching on the YouTube channel. But it's it's crazy. Viewer yeah. discretion advised. Yes. Um, so McGee, uh, in his spare time, wrote rap lyrics as a hobby, but never seriously pursued music. But many of his lyrics referred to his love of killing and his hatred of the police. Oh, imagine that. <laughs> and in, in specifically in regards to the Mendoza murder, um, his writings detailed some things. Uh, one line eventually used against him in court read, quote, witness protection ain't, uh, won't work. Realize your rat ain't going to make it to the stand. Hmm. So bragging about killing a witness before they can testify. So against maybe him. they did have her in witness protection, just not very good. Maybe uh, it doesn't seem like it seemed like she was at a birthday party, you know, celebrating her birthday. And yeah, not smart. Know, maybe right? she didn't want it. Maybe she didn't. Maybe she was scared to tell him. But then she was like, no, I still got to live my life. I don't know, man. Who knows? Oh, I would hope. Um, he also took the time to write, quote, everything in this book is a work of fiction inside a spiral notebook in case it was ever seized by police. However, this did not deter the prosecution uh, from using it in his eventual trial. <laughs> no. That's what I've always, um, I've always, I've always wondered that. I'm like, these rappers and shit that get arrested, it's like, they can use those songs, right? I know it's like artistic freedom, but the jury's not mm. going to see it that way. Right. It's still going to, it's still going to sway their decision quite a bit. And you can, you know, you can kind of tell when people are telling the truth. Yeah. It depends probably on the level of detail. Like when you're saying the exact corner that the, you <laughs> killed this person. And yes. like, <laughs> yeah. When you mentioned their how name, many shots were fired. You mentioned their nickname yeah. and then you mentioned yeah. Yeah, police custody. And yeah. Yeah. Kind of get specific. It was 2.31 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> I had five in the chamber. I knew that would be enough. Yeah. It's like, yeah, right. <laughs> it's like damn it, dude. Um, so in the fall of 2002, a task force of as many as 60 local and federal investigators began to search for Timothy McGee after linking him to numerous homicides. So they're finally putting the pressure on. They're actively yeah. like hunting him down, and they're using federal agencies and everything else to finally uh, end this end this charade of him just going around killing whoever he wanted. Finally. LAPD detectives had enough evidence to charge him in a single case. That's another thing. They finally had enough evidence to at least know that if they went to trial, they could put him away for life yeah. for murder, whereas all the other murders they never had shit you know they never like he never left anything at the crime scene like this with right. his cell phone situation um and also they had a witness finally come forward now she's dead but they at least had a videotape confession of her saying that he had done this yeah, yeah. um so on august 28 2002 the lapd appealed to the public for information regarding mcgee's involvement in the mendoza murder as well as the triple homicide involving sherry wisotsky uh, that was the lady that called in you know saying that he was selling drugs from an, um, yes. his sister's home yes a fifty-five thousand dollar reward was offered, but no one came forward. I fucking wonder why no one came forward. Yeah, you know, it's the last time someone came forward. She ended up with five sh fucking bullets in her head. Yeah, and what good is fifty-five thousand dollars if you're dead, man? It's like yeah, exactly. Not gonna work. Um, when it became clear that McGee was running the Tunerville gang from outside of the state, the U.S. Marshal Service aided the LAPD in forming a task force with more investigators, vehicles, and even aircraft. McGee was placed on the U.S. Marshal's 15 Most Wanted Fugitives list on September 25, 2002, wanted for questioning an additional, in an additional 11 homicides. And even with the popular television series America's Most Wanted appealing to the public by filming a segment in 2003 dedicated to the search for Timothy McGee. So they're full. They're using every, um, everything they can mm -hmm. to, at their disposal uh, to put the pressure on. Um, despite such a record of violence, McGee had received surprisingly little attention from the national media before this point, with barely any coverage in Southern California. Even in 2002, there would be, have been only a, there would 
there would have been uh, 11 individuals alive in the United States who had committed more than 12 homicides, him being one of them. So he's a in an elite group of killers there. Apparently. I mean, and it's his clientele. Uh, That's why he flew under the radar for so long. Let's not be, you mm. know, let's not be coy about this. Yeah. If, yeah, he's not If he was He's not doing John Wayne Gacy here killing young boys. Right. Or night stalker shit breaking into homes and killing, yeah, killing just random, random innocent people in the people. suburbs. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, as Los Angeles Times reporter Jack Leonard put it many years later, even in a city with more than 150 gang slangs a year, Timothy and Joseph McGee's murders stood out. Mm-hmm. So on January 10th, 2003, the LA Times finally reported that 29-year-old McGee was wanted for his role in a dozen homicides, perhaps the notoriety that uh, drove McGee to flee the state of California. He'd already spent the last six months shifting between Atwater Village, Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. You know, we get the we always get the, rev- the Vegas reference or a North Carolina reference, yeah. it seems. yeah. And Arizona, never staying in one place for more than a week. He would even throw off police by brazenly staying in rival gangs' neighborhoods. LAPD officer Andy, Te- Andy Teague was quoted as saying, quote, people know you don't cross McGee. If you cross him, you're dead. And we've already seen examples of that. Yep. Too many. A break in the case came when a reader of the Mojave Desert News recognized 20- 29-year-old McGee from a photograph in the newspaper as a man who was living in Bullhead City, Arizona. Bullhead, Arizona, man. Bullhead City. Uh, I, I know that place decently. I've been to Laughlin many times, and it's just across the river from Laughlin. Yeah. Um, did the Laughlin River Regatta and spent some time in Bullhead City. It's a cool little town. Laughlin is is a cool little town. It's kind. It's weird. Yeah, it is kind of. Cool. It's like everything they have going on there, and then they have like neighborhoods there, but you're in the middle of the desert. It's it's freaking weird. It's like you have all your necessities, yeah. but it still seems so. So closed It's off. almost like the Florida of the West Coast. It's like where like people like old people that like to gamble but like want to stay warm. You know, as their joints hurt, they go to they go to Laughlin. They go to Laughlin. It's cheap. <laughs> <laughs> cheap. You got the river. You know, there's stuff to do. You got casinos where you can go yeah. gamble. Yeah. It's an interesting place. Isn't that where right that across the river from that is a uh, Bullhead City? Isn't that where that big biker gang fight went down in Lof- in one yes, of those Laughlin, Laughlin casinos? Yeah, dude, at the casino. Yeah, I forget which casino it was, yeah. but yeah, they would do that. The, the, yeah, there's footage of it. Oh you can my watch. God, it, it all went down inside a casino, so you have like a million surveillance cameras. Yeah, like you got every angle you could imagine of dudes getting shot and shit. Dude, <laughs> it's crazy. it was crazy. People out there with clubs yeah. and firearms and fucking machine yeah, guns. Man. Like it was an incre- it was like the mongrels, right? The the yeah, wasn't it like the Hells Angels and the Mongols or something like yeah. that? Yeah, it was like Mong- two- Mongols, not Mongols. Okay, Mongols, yeah. It was like two big motorcycle gangs that met mm-hmm. up there and just had it out, man. It was insane. I'll never forget that footage. Y'all check that out on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right across the river from that was where Timothy McGee was hiding out in Bullhead City, okay, uh, Arizona. Right on. Um, so McGee's father happened to own a business there in Bullhead, making the uh, lead credible. Um, the witness led authorities, this is a ballsy witness here, led authorities to uh, Ramar Street apartment on February 11, 2003, where McGee had lived off and on for the past year. Finally, in February 2003, McGee was captured in Bullhead City, Arizona, during a joint cooper- uh, operation with the BCPD, uh, LAPD, and federal law enforcement. After roughly 20 hours of surveillance, as authorities were preparing a search warrant and planning to raid the home with SWAT team, U.S. Marshals positively identified McGee leaving the apartment with a female driver. Officers would pull over the vehicle at around 1 p.m., and McGee was ordered out of the car and onto the ground in the presence of more than 25 officers of the LAPD, Bullhead City Police, and federal law enforcement. (laughs) McGee surrendered without a struggle, refusing to speak. Um, when an LAPD officer who knew McGee attempted to engage him in conversation, McGee simply glared at him, smiling at spectators. 
Mm. You got no time to talk to them pigs. Right. Yeah, he's not going to He wore a t-shirt. He was wearing a t-shirt that read, jump, run, jump, throw a donut, referring to the best way to elude a police officer. <laughs> <laughs> I love police. Don't get me wrong. But it's, that's kind of That funny is that, funny. You know, this, and it's even... This fucking hardened gangster who just kills on the spot is wearing such a silly t-shirt is just odd to me. And it's funny that he got arrested wearing it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another t-shirt was discovered in his possession that read, fugitive, can't see me. <laughs> Well, we couldn't for a long time, apparently. It yeah. had some truth to it for a minute. Um, apparently, the female driver was unaware of his true identity, nor did she have any suspicion that he was a wanted man. Yeah, sure. Yeah, right. Sure, sure, sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, McGee would be extradited back to Southern California, where he awaited trial. Of course, he, uh, he, was, he wasn't done fucking shit up yet. While awaiting trial, he basically uh, orchestrated a riot at the jail. Uh, McGee was held without bail at the Los Angeles County Men's Jail, and being the charismatic leader that he was, he commanded the respect of equally intimidating criminals housed in the cell block 3300 A-Row, the highest security area of the facility. McGee was the shot caller and fellow inmates would not act without his permission. He claimed to have, have, uh, have been verbally and physically assaulted by deputies during his time in the jail, even reporting one incident to the ACLU. Well, I'm sure he was. I'm sure he was. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, this is a guy that orchestrated uh, uh, you know, uh, hits on, on those, those two police officers back in Atwater. You know, he Yeah, I was about to say he orchestrated he was universally LAPD hated ambushes. by law enforcement, I'm sure. Yeah. On January 7, 2005 at roughly 4:40 p.m., inmate Rudolfo Gonzalez, intoxicated from a homicide, from a homemade alcoholic concoction was to uh, was to be removed from cell block A. Sheriff Deputy Raul Abara handcuffed Gonzalez and extradi- extracted him from his cell under the ruse of meeting with his attorney. They passed McGee's cell, who stated that Gonzalez, an acquaintance of his uh, of his since elementary school, did not have his permission to leave. So he's being escorted by the you know by the officers through the prison, and McGee's like, "I didn't give you permission to leave your cell." Uh, <laughs> o- obediently, Gonzalez attempted to return to his cell, fearing something was amiss, he, as he did not have an attorney. Upon changing direction, Gonzalez was tackled by four deputies. Inciting McGee's rage, he commanded inmates to assault the deputies with apples, oranges, urine, and bleach, ah. and it took 20 minutes to successfully remove Gonzalez from the cell block. McGee then ordered inmates to break sinks in their cells so jagged pieces of porcelain could be used as weapons, and it was hours later, nearly 10 p.m. that evening, when two deputies began their shifts and investigated the damage in A-Row. A-Row. They, as they entered, they were assaulted with books, fruit, porcelain, and various items. Inmates set multiple fires, and riot squad was assembled to squash the rebellion. By 2 a.m. the following mor- morning, all inmates had been removed from the A-Row, most voluntarily surrendering, but McGee, of course, had to be dragged out by force. Damn, McGee makes Charles Bronson look like a child's show, doesn't he? This is like he j- he's awaiting trial for all these murders, and he's already starting all this shit. Yeah, I mean, he has nothing to lose, man. I mean, the yeah, only thing he 100%. gives a shit about at this point is his reputation. His reputation. That's it. Yeah, especially when you're in prison. It means everything there. Yeah, exactly. That's and he knows he's never getting out, so... Nah. Like you said, what do you have to lose? Nothing. Nothing. What sucks is when you're doing a small stint in a, you know, a really bad place like this, and it's like, how do you avoid not getting... Like, how do you avoid getting more time? You can't, because, like, someone like this dude is going to come up to you and, like, basically you're, say you're doing this for me. You're going to stab that guy or whatever. Like, there's movement, you know, there's been a lot of prison movies made, and mm-hmm. it's just, like, that's got to be the biggest trick is, like, not surviving yourself, but, like, not getting more time tacked on because you have to do something for someone else. Right. So you're not killed. 
Yeah, because these dudes like this have no, nothing to lose. They're never getting out. So like, what do they care if you have to fucking stay too? Yeah. They want you to stay. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you're a loyal soldier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So on September 27, 2007, four and a half years after his capture, McGee went on trial for the murders of Ronnie Martin, Ryan Gonzalez, and Marjorie Mendoza. So three out of his dozen or more that he'd done. Mm-hmm. Additionally, he was charged with the attempted murder of six individuals, including LAPD officers Thomas Baker and Carlos Langarcia, Dwayne Natavidez, Erica Ree, Pedro Sanchez, and Juan Cardiel. Prosecutors initially charged him with nine murders, but dropped six charges before the trial began, citing unreliable witnesses. Hmm. Uh, good call, because if if you're relying on these witnesses actually going on the stand when the time comes and, you know, pointing the finger at this dude, yeah. I don't like your chances. Like, they're going to back out the last second. Oh, yeah. Especially as McGee has people threaten you and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um. Basically, you should only take him to trial for stuff that you have physical evidence on. Not, you, you can't rely on witnesses with this guy. I agree, 100%. Um, evidence was presented that McGee taunted at least one of his victims, saying, quote, die like a man, before firing the fatal shot into his skull. While prosecutors detailed the horrific crimes McGee was accused of perpetrating, he frequently flashed a broad smile as spectators to spectators in the courtroom. So he's, uh, you know, ever since doing this, he's on death row to this day. Yeah. Has shown zero remorse, which isn't shocking, you know, when you hear about the crimes that he did. Oh, God, no. Um, in January 2009, McGee was sentenced to death for his crimes by Superior Court Judge Robert Perry, who stated during sentencing that McGee seemed seemed to think killing was, quote, some sort of some kind of perverse sport as if he was hunting human game. And he currently sits on California's death row at Quentin's at San Quentin State Prison, along with Randy Kraft, mm-hmm. uh, with no execution date set, of course. So he'll probably grow old like Randy Kraft at San Quentin and never actually get killed. No. Yeah, he'll probably die. Unless or... he can, well, he might. He might just because he's gonna. He's not gonna be uh, quietly playing checkers and whatever like Randy Kraft. He's to gonna say. be actively fucking making issues there, and they might have to kill him just because he's costing them too much or, grief. Or somebody's gonna come in for revenge from one of the rival gangs when yeah. he's old and he can't do that shit no more. You know, when he's in mm-hmm. his 60s or 70s, he might die a violent death. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Somebody seeking revenge. Yeah, uh, during his incarceration, he has been continually involved in prison riots and violent attacks on staff members and has known has still shown no remorse for his acts. Um, and although his uh, actions briefly placed Toonerville 13 in the national spotlight, they have since returned to a less significant status among this, the numerous Sereno gangs in Southern California. Well, they lost their leader, man. They lost their psycho. Yeah. You need that psycho to the, put fear. The monster of Atwater. Yeah. Man. You need that, that leader to put fear in people's hearts, man. Yeah. Somebody who will retaliate in such a crazy way. But I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I feel like gang violence has, has chilled out maybe a little bit because of... Uh, a lot of different reasons. For one, property values have gone up, right? I mean, even in low-income areas, and then gentrification of low in- yeah. low-income areas are really changing a lot of things and moving people and pieces around. Um, not saying that this life and these people still aren't out there. I'm just saying they got to hide a little bit more. They can't be as brazen. I don't feel like as many gang members in in the 2000s are are rolling around with huge, you know, shirtless with big tattoos to take up their whole torso. I just don't. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of them give each other give themselves away on social media too. They can't help but like constantly be doing live streams and stuff like that. And the police, yeah. police, I, I've watched you know a lot of the newer episodes of First Forty Eight. They're constantly tracking people's Facebook pages and shit dude. like that, and they're giving themselves away. You'd be blown away the stupid things that people will post on Facebook. I mean, 
Not yeah. really. Not really. If you just look at the, the normal seen, people, like just the stupid statuses I see from normal people on a day in, I'm like, that is not even worth sharing. That's not even news. Like, what are, what are you doing? So I could only. I've seen multiple videos of drive by shootings where the person is live streaming and they get, they get drive by shot at. I've seen one where the dude is killed mm-hmm. while doing a live stream. He's sitting on a park bench, like, and drive by and boom, his phone's on the ground and he's dead. Uh, another one where, you know, these two guys were going at it, like, over like Facebook live or Instagram live or something. And like, you see the one guy's live stream, he shoots the other guy, the other guy's like, he just shot at me and missed. Like you heard like the fucking thud of it hitting his apartment. Jesus. Yeah. It's crazy. And then it's a different world now. Yeah. Everything's like broadcasted, you know, like, I was about to say, I mean, they're doing that for their protection and also maybe to get some revenge on the killer as well. Well, that, and that, that kind of stuff gets a lot of, a lot of hits on your live stream too. A lot of people are fascinated. Oh, well, duh. Yeah. unfortunately but i mean that's the world we live in man it's like videos videos are just getting more and more shocking i mean Mm. there was places to find these crazy shocking videos when we were in high school so like i'm sure if you a a quick search if you want to see some crazy shit it's out there and i'm not even talking dark web i'm not even talking tor browser i'm just talking reddit no (laughs) reddit there's instagram pages that post this kind of shit it has the warning you know all you got to do is click okay bam there it is yeah this may be unsuitable for Mm. yeah for view or whatever but you know what is suitable oh my god bro it's suitable for everyone <laughs> i was gonna do it i was gonna do a suitable segue <laughs> you beat me to it <laughs> i was gonna go a little different i was gonna say what's not suitable is stinky armpits oh okay okay we'll use them both that's right <laughs> either way guys you need to get an all-natural deodorant that suits you okay and your lifestyle oh i like it right like oh my Gaia, for instance which is an innovative all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while still maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. And guys, the cool thing about Oh My Guy is once you find a scent that you like, or maybe a few scents, I like to alternate between a few different ones like Egyptian Musk and Barbershop and True Crime Pine. Um, Sailor as well. Bunch of great scents. Um, but there's there's tons of others like vanilla, cherry, almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, uh, fireside, another great one, in my opinion, uh, bergamot, amber, pear, uh, sweet pea. But if you, when you guys find these scents that you like, you can also get them in beard oil if you're, if you're growing out your beard or maybe scented oil, uh, which is great for, you know, any unisex, right? And then, of course, the deodorant. You guys can't go wrong. All natural. It's, they smell amazing. Wendy is, is supporting a small business is great, guys. And not only are you doing something healthy for yourself, but you're supporting a small business and not a big corporation like Old Spice or Speed Stick or some shit like that who doesn't need your money and doesn't give a shit about your health. But because you guys are True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word creeper for 15% off your order at Oh My Gaia. That's creeper, C-R-E-E-P-E-R. For 15% off your order. That's at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram. Or you can check out ohmygaia.com. Probably the easiest way. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. Again, ohmygaia.com for 15% off your order, guys. You got nothing to lose. Give it a shot. All right. Also check out our other primary sponsor, Tonic CBD. Yeah. Tonic has original formulas using CBD, adaptogens, herbs, and superfoods, and has been working since 2017 to deliver the most effective, intentional, and sustainable products possible. 
Tonic Craft cultivates their own hemp on their their certified organic family farm in upstate New York. That hemp that they grow there travels only 30 minutes to their state-of-the-art manufacturing and distribution facility where it's turned into a finished product and sent to you, ensuring only the highest quality vibes at every stage of the process. Tonic's farm-to-bottle CBD botanical blends are uniquely formulated to provide targeted support where you need it most. Mm -hmm. Each and every high-quality ingredient is thoughtfully selected for its ability to support and enhance the benefits of CBD, resulting in a more effective, well-rounded, and consistent wellness solution for your body and mind. They have a bunch of different blends depending on your needs. Chill Tonic, one of my, my one of, is one of my favorites. Uh, helps with anxiety. It has ashwagandha, lemon balm, and passion flower to deliver a super calming effect. But it's also really cool that they use black seed oil in a lot of their blends. Um, I also love how easy it is it is to verify their products. They have a microchip on the top of each of their containers. When you get it, you tap your phone on there, and it'll uh, link you to third-party lab reports, product information, details about their farm, and even helpful blog posts to provide you with CBD education. So with values rooted in integrity, quality, and sustainability, Tonic is committed to creating a plant-based wellness product that are good for you and the people and good for the planet as well. Visit tonicvibes.com to learn more about this uh, you know, amazing uh, company and product and use code word creeper for 20% off your order. That's tonicvibes.com, code word creeper for 20% off. That's right. And guys, there's links to both of these advertisers right below the description of this episode with the code word spread out too, or spelt out rather. Um, if you have right. any questions. Yep. All right. All right. Uh, let me take a minute just to give thanks to those who have taken the time to rate and review the show real quick. Yeah, absolutely. I want to say thanks to Shy Sugar Bear in the U.S. who says, all-time favorite. You guys are the best. Your playful banter while also giving awesome background and amazing telling of the various crimes is absolutely wonderful. Nice. Um, thank, you. thank you to Shy Sugar Bear. I think that's it this week. All right. Thank you so much. Right on. Yeah, like a lot of listeners are moving away from uh, – uh, from like Apple and whatnot. And like, I feel like a lot less written reviews are happening now because I mean, cause you can just rate, right. I, I mean, noticed, I noticed yeah. that the ratings are going up and people realize that, you know, ratings are really the best way to help your podcast that and subscribing. So if you guys are listening, yeah, I mean, we're, yeah, we're up to 320, 331 ratings on uh, Spotify in just a short amount of time that they allowed you to start rating on yeah, there. That's amazing. So I feel like those would have been reviews on iTunes and instead people are, which is fine. A lot of I think a lot more people are just using Spotify in general. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there is Spotify is also moving towards a video format. Um, and we may have the ability to do that in the future, but uh, we'll mm-hmm. see. Cause right now, if you guys don't know, uh, all these free episodes are available in video form on YouTube. Uh, we spoke, you know, briefly about it throughout this episode, and we and we try to mention, you know, when we're talking about pictures or whatnot, that in the video form you'll be able to see these. Um, yeah. But also, you know, in the future, kind of like if if you're a Joe Rogan listener, you know, Joe Rogan has video on Spotify now. Hopefully, we'll be able to have that same that same feature uh, in the future. So. Any yeah. podcasts that have video format, Spotify is working towards that. We've actually gotten emails from Spotify reps, um, you know, working with us in the future of videos on Spotify. So be on the lookout for that. That's going to be pretty cool. Hell yeah. And check out our Patreon page, which is very cool. Patreon.com slash true crime guys. Yes. $2 a month gets you access to our once a month premium uh, Patreon only episode. Mm-hmm. Five bucks a month gets you a whole lot more. That's the real value. Uh, the value tier is $5 because it gets you. Uh, almost a show every day of the week at this point yes. um, gets you so many different uh, you know pieces of content on our network. Mm-hmm. Why don't you roll through those, Michael? Those different yeah. you, uh, shows you'll get. You get early. So on Mondays, uh, you'll get Strange Shorts with me and Andy um, every single Monday. Every fourth one is released on the free platform on Sandu. If you'd like to see how that show goes, 
And then on Wednesday, of course, you'll get your True Crime Guys proper on the free platform. Thursday, you get early release to say and do episodes that typically come out on well, Monday. Well, real quick, Wednesday, you'll uh, three out of four weeks of the month, you'll get you know TCG proper. But one one day of the uh, one week out of the month, yeah. you'll get uh, an episode only on Patreon. That's right. So you're only. F- yeah, only if you're on Patreon will you get that for which is coming up. It's either next week or the week after that we're doing a pa- Patreon exclusive episode. Yes, yes, it is coming up. It comes up fast. It comes up fast. Yeah. Um, and then on, like I say, then on Thursdays you will get access to uh, early releases of Strange and Unexplained, which is Sandu proper, which is typically released on Monday on the free platform. And then Friday you get JTB with me and Lorne. Uh, which is interactive. Yep. You guys can ask us questions. You can. There's a participation post. Now, we, we've changed the recording day for JTB. Now we're going to record on Mondays. So look on Saturdays and Sundays for your participation post for JTB. You guys will get your questions in there or your comments or whatnot. We'll record on Monday, but it will still be released on Friday to start off your weekend. Okay? In audio and video form, yes, by the way. Yes, in audio and video form if you're on Patreon. And then yep. Saturday is the five minute murder show with video with Lauren. Lauren's five minute murder show on Saturday. Yep. And then Sunday, uh, we record everything. No, wait, no. Sunday's our day off now, right? We finally got a day yeah. off. Yeah. Do we have one day off? Yeah. Wow. Right. We have the Lord's yep. day off. Right. This feels right. That's right. <laughs> yep. But yeah. And then on Monday, we start all over again, guys. So, and that's, you know, not to mention we got higher thoughts sprinkled in from time to time. Um, outtakes. There's a few Sandu stories after shows, um, which we want to get. We want to get back into doing that. Some of the some of the earlier Sandu stories, we would have like a little show at the end where we talked about our production, played outtakes, and just had some fun with it and whatnot. Um, we want to kind of get back into doing that. And uh, but we're working towards it. You know, we're get, we're still getting used to this whole this loaded schedule with all these different shows and whatnot. And um, you know, and then add in the video format. You know, it's it's taken a little bit of a uh, little bit of a, a, a progression, but we're getting there. We're getting there. All right. Is there anything else? All right, guys. That's it. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you next week. Keep creeping. Keep creeping, guys. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us, cause you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making better charming. You hush your mouth, boy.